It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of the murder of children and sexual abuse. In the winter of the murders... Newcomers swarmed the small city of Delphi, Indiana. The strangers had come because of the girls. That's what many residents of Delphi still call Libby German and Abby Williams, who were abducted and murdered on February 13, 2017. Just the girls. We know that from interviewing dozens of Delphi residents to get a better sense of how the people living there experienced this case. The longtime Delphi residents couldn't miss these new faces. They filled up tables at the local restaurants. Their vehicles clogged up the roads. Some of them worked for large media outlets based in Indianapolis and Chicago and beyond. 
these journalists and producers and camera technicians came to scramble for updates to broadcast news of the murders to a national audience. But a significant number of them were there to work on the investigation itself. Some were personnel with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. FBI employees were tasked with working with evidence from the crime scene, working in the Delphi Investigation's command post, working on behavioral and vocal and videographic analysis, and working the thousands of leads pouring into the tip line. One gets the impression that the FBI was doing quite a lot of work on the Delphi case. Some Delphi residents formed their own opinions on the FBI's presence. They wondered if the Bureau had established such a heavy showing because law enforcement suspected that a serial killer was at work. They didn't know what was going on, but they knew they'd never seen it before, not in their city. The sudden appearance of these many FBI agents was ominous. Still, locals also felt some comfort that the brutal murder of the girls was being taken so seriously and investigated by what many consider to be the premier law enforcement body in the United States. Delphi's temporary population increase, brought on by the murder investigation, only began to ebb in the summer of 2017, according to locals. Like the other newcomers, the FBI left, for the most part. Pertinent case information still lingers on the FBI's website, but those personnel returned to their base divisions. Still, the agency has loomed over the case ever since 2017. But details that we've uncovered over the course of our reporting shine a different light on the FBI's early participation in the case. Specifically, sources close to the investigation shared one possibly major investigative error, which they attributed to FBI personnel. In this episode, we'll talk more about that mistake, its context, another high-profile crime, and why it matters to our overall understanding of the Delphi case. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is The Delphi Murders, The FBI, and The Lost Tape. If you are like Anya and I, you likely have a fairly positive image of the FBI. 
Certainly, the FBI agents we've had on the show have been impressive. You may remember that we interviewed Kevin Gutfleisch about the mass shooting at the borderline. You could hear in his voice just how dedicated Gutfleisch and his team were to supporting the local authorities and in doing all they could to offer comfort and support to the victims left behind to pick up the pieces after the shooting stopped. We also talked with John Schaefer about the Pollock Patel case. We were really struck by his mastery of detail of a case that never made the headlines. Now he was doing absolutely everything in his power to find justice. Maybe those agents are the sort of people you also think of when you consider the FBI. But it's important to note that things are different in Indiana. In the 1970s, the Indianapolis Division of the Bureau was widely believed to be at least somewhat corrupt. In 1978, U.S. Attorney General Griffin Bell even began investigating complaints about corruption in that FBI office. The following year, Indianapolis Star reporters Richard Cady and Donald Thrasher did extensive work uncovering agents' bad behavior, like forming close ties with various local rackets, harassing whistleblowers, and planning to stalk and rob investigative journalists. That was, of course, a long time ago. Until recently, you would be forgiven for assuming that some of that troubling activity had died down at the Indianapolis Division. That same Indianapolis division, as you've heard, flooded the zone in the Delphi murders, sending many agents to work the case. But that office is also directly responsible for one of the biggest embarrassments in the recent history of the FBI. And understanding that is crucial to fully appreciating the quality of the work the FBI did in the Delphi investigation. So, before we tell you what we learned about what occurred at the Marathon gas station in Delphi, let's take a few moments to tell you about what happened in the Larry Nasser case. Before we start, let's make it clear that when we are critical of the FBI's actions in that case, it is not just us being armchair critics of the Bureau, unfairly attacking them when we do not appreciate the complexities and challenges of their job. Here are some comments that Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, made before a Senate Judiciary Committee in September of 2021. When I received the Inspector General's report and saw that the supervisory special agent in Indianapolis had failed to carry out even the most basic parts of the job, I immediately made sure he was no longer performing the functions of an agent. And I can now tell you, that individual no longer works for the FBI in any capacity. As for the former Indianapolis special agent in charge, the descriptions of his behavior also reflect violations of the FBI's longstanding code of conduct and the ethical obligations for all FBI employees, especially senior officials. Now, that individual has been gone from the Bureau for about three and a half years, having retired in January 2018, before any review launched. And I will say, it's extremely frustrating that we're left with little disciplinary recourse 
when people retire before their cases can be adjudicated. But let me be clear. People who engage in that kind of gross misconduct have no place in the FBI. So this is clearly very serious stuff. Let's note that the FBI director did not name names in his statement. But we will. The supervisory agent who failed to carry out even the most basic parts of his job was Michael Langman. The former Indianapolis special agent in charge who engaged in gross misconduct was W.J. Abbott. Please remember that name. You will hear it later in the episode. The story we want to tell now is less about Larry Nasser and more about the FBI's response to his crimes. But in order to understand what the FBI did and did not do, it is important to understand who Larry Nasser is and what exactly he did. Nasser was the team doctor for the USA Gymnastics national team. This put him in the position to provide medical care to elite athletes, young women who had no reason not to trust that he was helping them and protecting their interests. But Nasser abused and shattered that trust. Under the guise of providing medical care, he actually sexually assaulted them. We are not going to get into the graphic details of what he actually did. But you do need to know this. He committed these sexual assaults over and over again to more and more and more victims. The number of his victims is mind-bogglingly depressing. Judge Janice Cunningham said in court, We have over 265 identified victims and an infinite number of victims in the state, in the country, and all over the world. Some of these victims were as young as nine. Nasser committed so many sexual assaults on so many people over the years because he felt safe and protected. He thought he could get away with it, that he would never see any consequences. He was wrong about that. He ultimately got lengthy prison sentences, which ensure he will never again be a free man. And the judges who handed down those punishments made no secret of their contempt for Nasser. Attorneys for Nasser even went to the extent of filing an appeal because they felt one judge had said extra mean things about him in court. This judge called him a monster and said prison would be bad for him, saying it would make him wither away. The Michigan Supreme Court rejected that appeal, quite correctly in our opinion. Because of his many, many crimes, Larry Nasser would die in prison. That is as it should be. But it can't stop us from asking, why exactly was Nasser allowed to commit as many sexual assaults as he did? Why didn't anyone try to stop him? Well, the answer is that the survivors in this case tried to stop him. They did the right thing. They went to the FBI. More specifically, they went to the Indianapolis Division of the FBI, because Indianapolis is the home of USA Gymnastics, or USAG, which is the national governing body for gymnastics. And the Indianapolis Office of the FBI? Well, let's let some of the sexual abuse survivors in this case tell the story in their own words. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. 
but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Row Body Program. Here's how it works. Row gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In September of 2021, several U.S. gymnasts spoke before the U.S. Senate about their experiences with the FBI. We are going to share with you now some highlights from what they had to say. First, let's hear from Michaela Maroney. Nasser molested her for the first time when she was just 13 years old. As most of you are probably aware, I was molested by the U.S. gymnastics national team and Olympic team doctor Larry Nassar. And in actuality, he turned out to be more of a pedophile than he was a doctor. What I'm trying to bring to your attention today is something incredibly disturbing and illegal. After telling my entire story of abuse to the FBI in the summer of 2015, not only did the FBI not report my abuse, but when they eventually documented my report 17 months later, they made entirely false claims about what I said. After reading the Office of Inspector General's OIG report, I was shocked and deeply disappointed at this narrative they chose to fabricate. They chose to lie about what I said and protect a serial child molester rather than protect not only me, but countless others. My story is one in which special agent in charge, Jay Abbott and his subordinates did not want you to hear. 
and it's time that I tell you. In the summer of 2015, like I said, I was scheduled to speak to the FBI about my abuse with Larry Nassar over the phone. I was too sick to go meet with anyone in person, and talking about this abuse would give me PTSD for days. But I chose to speak about it to try and make a difference and protect others. I remember sitting on my bedroom floor for nearly three hours as I told them what happened to me. I hadn't even told my own mother about these facts, but I thought as uncomfortable and as hard as it was to tell my story, I was gonna make a difference and hopefully protecting others from the same abuse. I answered all of their questions honestly and clearly, and I disclosed all of my molestations I had endured by Nassar to them in extreme detail. Michaela then went on to share some of those details. We are going to omit them here. Suffice to say, they are horrible, and Nasser is a monster. Let's pick up Michaela's statement at the point where she had just finished sharing with the FBI agent the graphic story of what Nasser had done to her. I began crying at the memory over the phone, and there was just dead silence. I was so shocked at the agent's silence and disregard for my trauma. After that minute of silence, he asked, Is that all? Those words in itself was one of the worst moments of this entire process for me. To have my abuse be minimized and disregarded by the people who were supposed to protect me just to feel like my abuse was not enough. But the truth is my abuse was enough and they wanted to cover it up. They did not treat her story with the seriousness it deserved. This was very clear cookie cutter pedophilia and abuse. And this is important because I told the FBI all of this, and they chose to falsify my report and to not only minimize my abuse, but silence me yet again. I thought given the severity of this situation, that they would act quickly for the sake of protecting other girls. But instead, it took them 14 months to report anything when Larry Nassar, in my opinion, should have been in jail that day. The FBI, USOC, and USAG sat idly by as dozens of girls and women continued to be molested by Larry Nassar. This is a hugely important point to emphasize. The fact that the FBI did not act quickly when they learned about Nassar's abuse meant that he got the opportunity to molest many, many other girls. The blame for what those survivors had to endure lies squarely at the feet of the Indianapolis office of the FBI. Here is Maggie Nichols. She was molested by Nasser for the first time when she was 15. I reported my abuse to USA Gymnastics over six years ago, and still my family and I received few answers and have even more questions about how this was allowed to occur and why dozens of other little girls and women at Michigan State had to be abused after I reported. In sacrificing my childhood for the chance to compete for the United States, I am haunted by the fact that even after I reported my abuse, so many women and girls had to suffer at the hands of Larry Nassar. USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee and the FBI have all betrayed me and those who were abused by Larry Nassar after I reported. The cover-up of my abuse and the FBI's failure to interview me for more than a year after my complaint are well documented in the OIG report. After I reported my abuse to USA Gymnastics, my family and I were told by their former president, Steve Penny, to keep quiet and not say anything that could hurt the FBI investigation. 
We now know there was no real FBI investigation occurring. While my complaints uh, with the FBI, Larry Nassar continued to abuse women and girls. During this time, the FBI issued no search warrants and made no arrests. From the day I reported my molestation by Nassar, I was treated differently by USAG. Not only did the FBI fail to conduct a thorough investigation, but they also knew that USAG and the US OPC created a false narrative where Larry Nassar was allowed to retire with his reputation intact and returned to Michigan State University, thus allowing dozens of little girls to be molested. As the Inspector General's report details during this time period, FBI agents did not properly document evidence, failed to report to proper authorities, and the special agent in charge was seeking to become the new director of security for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee a job opportunity raised by Steve Penny. Afterwards, FBI agents in charge of the investigation lied to OIG investigators about what had happened. Did you catch that? At the very same time Abbott's agents were bungling an investigation into Larry Nasser and USA Gymnastics, the head of USA Gymnastics, Steve Penny, told Abbott about a well-paying job Abbott might be able to snag with the U.S. Olympic Committee. This conduct by these FBI agents, including the special agent in charge, who are held in high regard and expected to protect the public, is unacceptable, unac unacceptable, disgusting, and shameful. We agree. Here's Maggie Nichols again. An important question remains, perhaps the most important question, why? Why would the FBI agents lie to OIG investigators? Why would the FBI not properly document ev evidence that was received? Why would the FBI agent be interested in the USAG presidency? These questions remain unanswered. And the survivors of Larry Nassar have a right to know why their well-being was placed in the jeopardy by these individuals who chose not to do their jobs. Here's Allie Raisman. Larry Nassar molested her for the first time when she was 15. In 2015, it was known that at least six national team athletes had been abused by Nasser. <clears throat> there was even one of the athletes that was abused on film. Given our abuser's unfettered access to children, stopping him should have been a priority. Instead, the following occurred. The FBI failed to interview pertinent parties in a timely manner. It took over 14 months for the FBI to contact me, despite my many requests to be interviewed by them. The records establish that Steve Penny, FBI agent Jay Abbott, and their subordinates worked to conceal Nasser's crimes. Steve Penny arranged with the FBI to conduct my interview at the Olympic Training Center, where I was under the control and observation of USA Gymnastics and the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. The day of my interview, Steve Penny flew to the Olympic Training Center and he made sure I was aware he was there. I felt pressured by the FBI to consent to Nasser's plea deal. The agent diminished the significance of my abuse and made me feel my criminal case wasn't worth pursuing. Special agent in charge of investigating Nasser met Steve Penny for beers to discuss job opportunities in the Olympic movement. Another FBI agent worked with Steve Penny to determine jurisdiction without interviewing the survivors. 
I've watched multiple high-ranking officials at USAG, USOPC, and FBI resign or retire without explanation of how they may have contributed to the problem, some of whom were publicly thanked for their service and rewarded with severance or bonus money. My reports of abuse were not only buried by USAG, USOPC, but they were also mishandled by federal law enforcement officers who failed to follow their most basic duties. To sum up this sad, depressing story, the failures of W.J. Abbott in the Indianapolis office of the FBI allowed a sexual predator to continue assaulting victims for over a year. And it is important to note that it was the Indianapolis Star's reporting on the case which led to cries for justice in the Nasser case. We have told you all of this because W.J. Abbott in the Indianapolis office of the FBI also played a key role in the Delphi investigation. And today, we can exclusively report that the FBI is directly responsible for making a huge blunder in the case. So now that we've talked about some important context regarding the FBI's Indianapolis division, let's get back to our focus, the Delphi murders. We mentioned that the Bureau has cast a long shadow in this case. Let's quickly run down a few high-level FBI-related details in the Delphi case. Back on February 22, 2017, Greg Massa, the assistant special agent in charge of the FBI Indianapolis office, appeared at a press conference with other law enforcement representatives. He noted that an FBI agent had even joined in the search for the girls when they initially turned up missing. He said that 20 of the Bureau's agents would be at the disposal of law enforcement and that the FBI viewed itself as taking on an important support role. That same day, Massa also confirmed to the Logansport Pharaohs Tribune that then-FBI Director James Comey had been briefed about the murders. On February 25, 2017, Bob Ramsey, who was then an FBI agent, inexplicably publicly cleared Kegan Klein after the raid on the Klein household in Peru. The activity continued into March. As we uncovered earlier this year, FBI agent Nicole Robertson helped craft a probable cause affidavit for a search warrant on Ron Logan's property in connection with the case. The shadow of the Bureau has even fallen over other law enforcement agencies involved in the case. Onlookers heard Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter's 2019 press conference announcing a new direction in the case. When his presentation took on both emotional and religious overtones, some wondered if they might be hearing words written by an FBI criminal profiler, carefully crafted to flush out the killer. That was obviously just pure speculation, but it goes to show how much the FBI has remained top of mind in this case for those who follow it. Now, as far as we can tell, former Agent Ramsey and Agent Robertson were based out of the Chicago area. But the Indianapolis division of the FBI was also all over Delphi. Don't take our word for it. Listen to W.J. Abbott himself speaking to Fox 59. Indiana State Police stayed uh, the forefront and in charge of the case. 
I will, I will tell you that there were those days when the FBI certainly had more personnel uh, in and around Delphi than anyone else uh, in law enforcement. Some days, I think we were over 100 personnel that I was trying to keep track of. Yep, that's the same W.J. Abbott from the Nasser case. He explained to Fox 59 that his division has been specifically asked to provide support in the case by ISP Superintendent Doug Carter himself. The FBI doesn't necessarily have jurisdiction uh, for murder cases. This was clearly uh, a case that was with, within the jurisdiction of the state police. Uh, and, and Doug Carter, uh, a superintendent of Indiana State Police, is a good friend and a great colleague during that time and continues to be a great friend. Uh, he came and asked for, for our assistance. Our understanding from a law enforcement source was that the FBI was in charge of obtaining relevant surveillance from local establishments. That included a marathon gas station in Delphi. And remember, the FBI was on the scene nearly immediately. It's not as if they were responding weeks later after all the tapes had been wiped clean. But even as the murders continued to go unsolved for years, other law enforcement officials rested assured that the FBI had done all it could to obtain the relevant surveillance footage from area establishments. Well, this became highly relevant later, after the investigation began pointing back to Kagan Klein and his father, Tony. As it turned out, our sources tell us, Kagan Klein had searched for the location of the Marathon gas station in Delphi on the day of the murders. If police could have reviewed the surveillance footage from the marathon and saw that it had picked up Kagan, his father, or one of their vehicles, then that would have been huge. Only, there was no surveillance footage from the marathon to be reviewed. The FBI had not fulfilled their obligations in the early days of the investigation. They hadn't obtained that key surveillance footage from the marathon station. A gas station clerk told law enforcement that they remembered FBI employees coming in to obtain video surveillance. The gas station fully cooperated. What happened next was not their fault. When the FBI's portable thumb drive didn't function properly, the business handed over the necessary hard drive for the FBI to analyze. But there were either additional technical issues or some sort of task management mishap and the FBI then returned the hard drive without having obtained the necessary footage. Our source also told us that the FBI was the agency that had initially cleared the Kleins, based on their false claims that they had been in Las Vegas at the time of the murder. We, of course, don't have all the facts about what exact FBI personnel were involved with these mistakes. These mistakes were all blunders. We don't believe anyone acted maliciously or with any intent to mess things up. And when the FBI initially went to the Marathon gas station, our understanding is that they likely did not know that Kagan Klein had searched for that location. But these errors, and the fact that the FBI failed to live up to its commitment to collect all relevant surveillance footage still paints a troubling picture of aspects of the organization's role in this investigation. We have been critical of the Indiana State Police in the past on this program. 
But we are not going to criticize them for trusting the FBI in these instances. As W.J. Abbott mentioned, the FBI had come in on the request of Superintendent Carter. They provided an army of personnel as well as ample resources. That is all unsurprising. They are widely regarded around the country for taking on a helpful supporting role to local and state police. What occurred instead in this case was sloppy to the point of being shocking. The implication of all of this in the Delphi case is obvious. If that video footage had been recovered, and if it showed the clients in Delphi, then it would have completely blown apart the alibis in this case. It would have been a real game changer. But now, that tape is most likely lost forever. But that doesn't mean the case is irretrievably damaged. We've talked to law enforcement, and they told us that releasing this detail would not harm the case. They obviously would love to have that footage, but they also know there is always more than one path towards bringing someone to justice. So, the person who took the lives of Libby and Abby should not feel comforted by what we have reported today. And we would also like to stress that we feel optimistic about the ultimate outcome of this case. Of course, what we have shared also has implications beyond the Delphi case. The FBI is a large organization full of dedicated people who do often extraordinary work. That doesn't mean everyone in the Bureau is perfect. Mistakes can get made. The FBI needs to be held accountable for those errors, if only to prevent similar mistakes getting made in the future. The press has a key role in examining the performance of law enforcement agencies. You remember that a key reason that Larry Nassar was brought to justice is that reporters for the Indianapolis Star paid attention to the story that the FBI largely ignored. But you have a role to play, too. The way to hold someone accountable, of course, is to pay careful attention to their work. If the FBI gets involved in a case that directly involves you, don't just assume they are doing everything perfectly. Ask questions. Get answers. You are entitled to them. In this episode, we cited extensive reporting from the Indianapolis Star, from both in the 70s and recently. They are the newspaper that should be credited with uncovering the many crimes of Larry Nasser. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on the Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet. 
and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>